You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. I'm increasingly afraid to look at my Twitter feed. Because it seems like every time I power it up and take a peek, some new, terrible, awful, no good, rotten shit is going down. Nice, Baton Rouge, that coup this weekend in Turkey. I'm starting to engage in a little bit of magical thinking here as the pileup of terrible events keeps getting bigger as they keep coming closer and closer together. I keep thinking maybe something terrible won't happen today. Maybe the New York Times won't land on my porch with another banner headline if I just stop looking at my Twitter feed or turning on the news or opening the little blue bag with the New York Times in it on the porch. Maybe if I stop looking, this shit will stop happening. Maybe me, myself, because I am so at the center of the entire universe, maybe I am personally creating a vacuum for terrible news that is sucking in all of this horror and all of this heartache. So sending your thinking, you know, pivoting from that to maybe if I don't turn on the TV this week, maybe the Republican National Convention won't happen. Maybe Scott Baio won't be on national television at a major party's political convention giving a speech. Or that batshit insane bearded fuckface from Duck Dynasty or Antonio Sabato Jr., Someone those of us of a certain age now feel bad about having masturbated to many, many years ago in the early 1990s or any of the other C-list celebrities Donald Trump is gilding his shit show with. Maybe none of them will speak and Donald won't be nominated if I don't look at Twitter or turn on MSNBC or open the New York Times in the morning and take a look. Speaking of celebs, Donald Trump has a whole bunch of at best, C-list, if not LMNOP, QRSTUV-list celebs lined up for his convention. And it's funny, our relationship to celebs when they dive into politics. When they say something that we agree with, their celebrity doesn't factor in at all. They're just right on, like we're right on. They get it. Like when I read this quote a couple of days ago circulating on Twitter, it's from an interview that Vigo Mortensen did with Marlo Stern for The Daily Beast. And Vigo, ad addressing the racism that Donald Trump has exposed, really exposed. It was always there, not too far under the surface. He blew the dust off the surface and there it was. Vigo, right on Vigo, says, Trump is only saying in cruder terms what really started with Reagan but then took flight with Gingrich in 94, the polarizing, race-baiting rhetoric of the Republican Party for the last several decades is coming home to roost. Trump is the logical conclusion Vigo continues. He's not very nuanced in his diatribes, but he's not saying anything very different than what Paul Ryan, John Boehner, Dick Cheney, and Mitch McConnell are saying. All of these guys have been engaging in the same divisive, racist politics. Oh my God. Right the fuck on. Thank you, Vigo Mortensen, for saying what they should be saying on the front page of the New York Times. They should be saying on the nightly news as the lead. You should be pointing out that the Southern strategy, racist dog whistle politics, Ronald Reagan launching his campaign in a city in the South where three civil rights activists were murdered. Talk about a dog whistle there. 
Welfare queens, everything that's come out of the Republican Party for the last 30, 40 years has been tapping into, mining, inflating the sense of white grievance and this sense of an undeserving black and brown population that's being filleted endlessly by the federal government. And this is the bill coming due, the Republican base, the racist mob that the GOP has consciously assembled over the last 40 years, nominating a racist shitbag like Donald Trump. And I read that and I think, ah, this man, this celebrity, this actor whose film, A Perfect Murder, I caught on HBO this weekend. He's so hot. He's so right on. And then I kept reading Marlo Stern's profile of Viggo Mortenstern and saw this. I trust Hillary about as much as I trust Donald Trump, said Vigo. I think she's dishonest. I don't think she has the interests of working people at heart. And I think she's shown that time and time again. All the things that Bernie Sanders said about her, I agree with. Except, of course, for Bernie Sanders now endorsing Hillary Clinton. Vigo doesn't agree with that. And that was a tough whipsaw. Like, oh my God, right on Vigo. Speaking truth to power or whatever. Yay. You're so right. So right about the racism thing. And then what? Vigo? Oh my God. So wrong. Shut up, celebrity. You're just a celebrity. Nobody cares what you think about politics when you say something that I disagree with politically. When you say something I agree with politically, right on. Anyway, fun fact, according to an analysis done by the New York Times, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders voted the exact same way. They voted together 93% of the time. So Hillary Clinton is 93% of Bernie Sanders. And if you can't get 100% of Bernie Sanders, settling for 93% of Bernie Sanders is pretty fucking good as a compromise position, as a fallback. 93% of what you wanted? Boss, I'd like a $100,000 a year raise. Can't do it. But here's 93 thousand dollars as your raise no fuck you i quit no one would do that so i hope there's time now in november polls are tight nobody should be complacent here there's time for vigo to come around and vote for what he could regard as the lesser of two evils in the trump v clinton race in the hillary v bernie race which is over and done with not that much less you didn't have to settle for much less seven percent less you're getting with Hillary than you would have gotten with Bernie. That seems like something an adult should be willing to accept. They're practically the same political animal. That said, and I feel honor bound to point this out, and it does undermine my point on accepting the 93%. Chimps and humans share 96% of their DNA. We are basically the same animals. And I don't think I could bring myself to vote for a chimp for president. Republicans, on the other hand, twice nominated a chimp for president. He stole an election in 2000 with the assistance of people voting for the third party candidate because there was no difference between Bush and Gore. And then the Republicans nominated that chimp again in 2004. And he won. So careful. Careful what you do with your vote because it can have real world consequences for everybody out here in the real world, not in the celeb bubble, Vigo Mortensen, who's 50% right on. Batting 500, that's pretty good too. 50% right on. Vigo, I appreciate it. But I hope you come around on Hillary. And that's my message for everyone this week as we slog through the Republican National Convention, which is happening right now, despite my best efforts to blot it out and ignore it, to not fire up Twitter. Apparently that didn't stop it from happening. Also, I am going to be on Real Time with Bill Maher on Wednesday, tomorrow night, talking about the Republican National Convention. All right, coming up on this week's show, we have Wonkat's editrix, Rebecca Schoenkopf, here to talk with us about 
More Bernie v. Hillary. More election stuff. It's election season. Sorry. But tons of your sex questions. And coming up at the end of the show are African-American listeners and their calls and their thoughts about what it is like to live in this country at this moment as an African-American and what other people need to understand about that. Coming up now. Hi, Dan. 27-year-old lesbian from Southern California. So I was in San Francisco last week for a conference and I met a woman online. So we got drinks and then we spent the next three nights together having sex, which was incredible because I just got out of a relationship with a woman who is definitely on the asexual side of the spectrum, like on a scale of asexual to sex cookie monster. She's on one side and I'm on the other side. So anyways, when I got back home, this San Francisco girl was texting me a bit and in a half joking, half serious way said that she looked up plane tickets and car rental prices to come visit me. And I guess caught up in the momentum of those three nights together, I gave her my consent to rent a car and drive five hours to spend the next weekend with me. Now, a few days later, I've come to my senses and I want to call off this weekend trip. She was fun for a few nights, but I don't think I felt any special cosmic soul connection. So, Dan, should I take this risk and go through with hosting some chick I barely know for an entire weekend or go with my instinctive repulsion? She already rented the car and I feel guilty, but also wildly desperate to back out of to back out of this plan. Why don't you want this woman to come visit? You spent three great nights together. A weekend's visit, like I'd like to fuck you some more, is not I want to marry you and have kids <laughs> and you're obligated to see me again and again and again for all eternity if you allow me to come visit you this weekend. Why the cold? Well, theme? I don't know. I kind of perceive that in like the unwritten, uh, unwritten subtext of her text. I kind of thought it might be a U-Hauly situation. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I mean, if you, okay, when you put it like that, somebody who spent three nights together who wants to continue the momentum of sexual satisfaction and adventure, that sounds great. I'm just worried about the strings attached that it implies, I mean, driving five hours, renting a car. Right. Spending the whole weekend together. Oh my God, the whole Uh, weekend together. What kind of a lesbian are you? (laughs) You're supposed to want to spend your whole life together after somebody fucks you for three minutes. At least that's the lesbian cliche. But you can be programmed correctly. You can be clear about those things without ghosting her or suddenly, you know, giving her the impression that she had done something wrong when all she really wanted to do was see you some more. That you you can say to her, I'm totally into you coming. I just got out of a shitty relationship. Like I'm having this moment's reservation about the implications of this. And would you feel better? Be honest. Would you feel better if you said that to her and she said, hey, I just want to fuck you. I'm not really interested in you as a human I, being. Or would that then make you feel sad and, and rejected and threatened? <laughs> no, that would be like open sesame. That would be like the secret code I would need to hear then instead of, to be all in. Then instead of uninviting her, which I just think is kind of a inconsiderate route, but also self-defeating. You've been so sex-starved for so long. Let yourself have some fucking <laughs> pussy. Instead of uninviting her, just say to her, I would love to see you again. That was really fun. Let's. I would love to recreate that weekend. Just got out of a long-term relationship that was kind of crappy, and I'm not looking to get into anything committed or serious right now. So I don't want there to, you know, I don't want to, you know. I hope you're not coming. I, yeah, I can't, you can't even say this. I can't even say this. I just don't want you to think <laughs> that, you know. I don't want this to be a you Holly moment. And if she says there's yeah. no trailer hitch on the car I rented, let her come and fuck you. <laughs> 
<laughs> so let her let her fuck me. That's the yeah that's the bottom line. And and I do think. Uh, on this kind of thing, someone you really don't know that well who's going to come and crash at your place, if you guys can afford it, if you can swing it, for her to have her mm-hmm. own place to crash, it's just yeah. two nights and you get on Hotels.com and then you get to fuck in a hotel and then you have an apartment to retreat to if things get weird. Yeah. But I don't necessarily I, yeah, think yeah. that's I mean, necessary. I don't think she's going like, to want to wear my face as a mask or anything, but... Let her come and stay at your house and eat her pussy and have some fun. <laughs> and I'm here from the okay. future to warn you that I'm in a relationship approaching 22 years that was a rebound thing when it first started. Yeah. So you never know. I was so resistant okay. at first. Like I was just like, oh, you can't be my – I can't really seriously date you. I can't be with you. I just got out of a shitty relationship. You're too young. You're too – Skinny, you're too mm-hmm. everything. You're too hot. You're too hot. Yes, that too. And then, you know, you'll be surprised sometimes. It's the person that you think you shouldn't want or can't have or you're resisting or pushing away that sometime down the road you look back and think, that was the person I needed. And I'm glad that person kept running at me. Mm-hmm. So let her- running five hours towards my vagina. Okay, that's not a bad situation. I, know, I personally know people who have flown to other continents to meet people just for sex. What? Who can afford that? Privileged gay white men. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Enjoy. Don't stress. And you know where this, if I may, before I let you go, just, I, I want to identify where I think this stress is coming from. This denial, yeah. denying yourself this joy and this intimacy and this connection. Cause it is a relationship. It doesn't have to be a long-term relationship. You had a three day relationship with this woman. She wants to extend the life of it another two or three days. And then who knows? Yeah. And I think the reason that you're tense about it is the last time you committed to someone, it was a disaster for you sexually. <sighs> yeah. Almost a year of like barren, barren sex life. Right. Like a, like a, dusty desert with like a so rather than be nervous about committing to someone where there will be no sex you're nervous about being with someone <laughs> where there is sex because you're nervous about the commitment not the lack of or abundance of sex which is just should be your concern yeah. coming out of this relationship but you fear commitment because in the last year you attached commitment to drought and you need yeah to, and i stuck myself in something right you need to separate these two issues out you can commit to someone and that doesn't mean that that will be instantly sexual drought yeah, clearly not the situation here. Right. Even if a commitment should come of this, what you said, what you feared when in letting her come was what if she wants to U-Haul me? What if she wants to be marry me? What if she wants? And the yeah. unspoken tension under all of that hemming and hawing of yours was, and then I don't get to have sex anymore ever again, because that was your experience mm-hmm. last time you committed to somebody. Yeah. But if you establish at the outset with this woman that it is banging and hot and sex and sexy and sex and sex. Don't leap to the minute we commit, the sex dies, because that's what happened last time, because it doesn't have to play that way again. No, it doesn't. She doesn't have to be a, like a sheep in, in sexy wolf's clothing. Right. So let her, come, let her come and let her know she has me to thank for all the orgasms she's going to have this weekend. <laughs> I'll let her know. I'll have her send you a, in a very good stationery. <laughs> and we know how... And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was going to make a joke about how a lesbian might lick a stamp, but I'll leave that alone since most stamps are <laughs> adhesive now. I'll, I'll be the stamp. I'll, <laughs> I'll be that for her. Have fun, relax, enjoy yourself. And congratulations. After that long drought, you deserve somebody who wants to drive five hours to fuck you. You're with somebody for a year who didn't want to fuck you at all. Let somebody crawl through broken glass to fuck you. You need that kind of affirmation. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Dan. Bye. Hi, Dan. So I've uh, been with my partner for 10 years. Uh, We have two kids together. Uh, We have a generally very loving and calm, happy household, um, pretty low stress. Over time, we've periodically discussed uh, being monogamous. And I think that I could handle it. Um, I think emotionally I could handle it and physically. um, But the thing that gives me serious pause is um, he has a history of issues respecting pretty obvious social and sexual boundaries with people. Nothing like molesty, but like just like creep void stuff, like things that happened early on in our relationship that I probably should have left him over. Uh, include, you know, him hitting on my family members, him hitting on his family members' partners. Uh, That's not to say that I wish I would have left him. I think things worked out okay, but um, they do demonstrate, you know, issues. And he does have a history of molestation. Uh, Even to this day, when he drinks, he'll say and do inappropriate things, you know, to people, just give people weird vibes. I feel like it's just kind of always lurking under the surface. All of this makes me seriously doubt that he has the capacity to sort of respect and follow any rules that we might put in place uh, if we were to become monogamous. So I'm just, I, I have a lot of trust issues around it, and I'm not sure if it's something that I should go forward with or not. Uh, oh, one thing that I forgot to mention is that he also has an extremely high sex drive. Uh, you had a recent caller who I believe her compromise was like daily. I can very much relate to that. I can very much relate to almost everything she said. There seems to be no limit to his sex drive. I've I've done a lot of testing in this department, like, you know, sexting throughout the day and seeing like how many times a day we can have sex if there is a way to sort of satisfy it. And it really never seems to be. It almost seems like this insatiable hole that the more you fill, the bigger the hole gets. Um, So that's another reason that I have reservations about opening up our relationship that way. I also would like to point out that I'm not an idiot. So I imagine like all these things that I've told you, you know, I'm sure that things have happened over the years that I don't know about and that's fine. I don't have any issues with those. Like I'm just wondering if we should open it up verbally with consent and boundaries and have discussions about it if you think that's a safe thing to do if you think that's even possible the answer to your question about whether or not to open up this relationship whether or not to go the monogamous route with your husband with his particular bundle of issues it all hinges on how self-aware he is is he conscious of the problems that he has and has had sexually Has he faced social consequences, if not legal consequences, for his actions and poor impulse control in the past? Has he faced any blowback? Does he know that his inability to read social cues and his impulsiveness when he is not constrained by a monogamous commitment has complicated his life, could really upend his life, could destroy his marriage, destroy his family, could – If he pulled something super stupid, wrong person, wrong place, wrong time, wrong act, land his ass in jail. Is he aware of all of that? Because if he is aware of all of that, maybe you could open this relationship up with the understanding that he needs you to act as his filter and his control. That it's not he is now free to run out there in the world and hit on people willy-nilly. 
as he once did or as he used to because that was a recipe for disaster and social blowback and potential legal consequences and marital consequences and familial consequences now that he is a married family man. But if working with you and you as his filter, you guys can be monogamish in the context of play parties, in the context of organized swinging events, in the context of threesomes that you arrange, that you are the driver, that he follows orders, that you set these things up for the both of you, that he turns to you for help and to game stuff out and to judge and assess whether or not his attentions would be welcomed in a particular circumstance or by a particular person. If he can filter that through you and it sounds like an awesome responsibility for you, it sounds like potentially a crushing responsibility for you considering his sex drive. But how badly do you want to fuck other people? You say that this desire to open the relationship up, it partly emanates from you. And so the question then becomes how much responsibility for controlling his behavior, which you already have taken responsibility for in the context of this monogamous commitment, how much responsibility for controlling his behavior and its capacity, if it gets out of control, to upend your lives, are you willing to shoulder for the benefit personally and for yourself to fuck other dudes now and then or once in a while or to do whatever it is that you're fantasizing about doing that doesn't involve him? If having that for yourself is important enough that you are willing to take some kind of parental-ish oversight of his without you or with or without you sexual adventures, maybe you could make this work. But again, that all hinges on whether or not he knows about his problems, about whether he is aware enough of his issues with boundaries and with impulse control and with target selection to, to cede that to you and, and to – be grateful that you would help him in that way so that he doesn't destroy his family, tear apart the only home his children have ever known, potentially harm his marriage, potentially land his ass in prison or get himself fired. There's all sorts of terrible consequences that come with poor impulse control and hitting on the wrong people or lunging at the wrong people at the wrong time. So this is obviously a talk you need to have with him about what he knows and when he came to know it and what control he's willing to give up to you in the hopes of perhaps having a little more sexual variety in his life going forward. Because if he can let you be the driver, maybe you can get to this destination, this monogamish destination. But if he can't let you be the driver, if the only thing that's prevented him from continuing to act out sexually in really inappropriate ways, which may tie to his history of abuse himself, of having been abused, maybe monogamy is the control that he needs and the control that you need in your life to keep yourself safe and your family intact. Monogamy has its upsides. Non-monogamy, and I'm here from the future to share this with you, can be complicated and requires a lot of emotional intelligence, a high emotional IQ and self-awareness to successfully pull off. And if he doesn't possess those things and he isn't willing to allow you to control when and where and how it happens for him, if that's indeed what he needs to do this successfully, I wouldn't recommend that you go there. Frankly, I wouldn't recommend that you do it. Hey, Dan, Howdy from Brooklyn, 40-year-old, not caring of orientation labels, in a 
monogamous relationship with a woman, married, father, uh, everything's grand, into kink, very open-minded, but having a problem with uh, self-doubt on my partner's end. We came to our monogamous uh, situation um, together. We were in a relationship together and then uh, uh, kind of came to this. And it's been wonderful. Uh, lots of good times, lots of fun, uh, fantastic sex life we have. She has some self-esteem issues. I realized that growing up in a patriarchal world as a woman, you're taught to be deferential. Um, I think this is one of her problems in that she tries to do what is cool in her mind and not what she's comfortable with. Um, so we will talk about things beforehand, what we want from a particular scenario or a party or a date together with people or dates apart. And I'm, I'm fairly self-aware of my feelings. Um, she, on the other hand, is a little bit more, uh, needs a little bit more coaxing to talk about her feelings. Uh, she'll get upset with things afterwards after I try to preemptively address them. So then I tell, uh, you know, which is a bit frustrating. Um, so I try to get it out of her beforehand. Now she's in this pattern where she won't tell me afterwards that she was upset with something, but it'll manifest itself a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month later in something completely irrelevant, but painfully obvious that it is relating to the situation. She doesn't have the most confidence in herself. I don't know why. Um, again, she's wonderful, beautiful, sexy, GGG in many ways. But this lack of self-esteem is, it's affecting our, our life. We'll get into a giant argument afterwards. It'll be two, three days long, this, this drag out process, and then we'll come to a resolve. Basically, do you have any tricks or tips or anything on how we can maybe shorten that process of coming to the realization and addressing what the real situation is? Wish I could have gotten you on the phone because I have questions for you. Like, what exactly are you guys doing that she feels bad about afterwards, sometimes weeks afterwards? You're very vague about these things, whatever these things are in your monogamous marriage that you're doing that are sandpapering your wife's insecurities, whether you feel her insecurities are rational or justified or not, whether she regards them as insecurities or not, that's a whole other issue. What are you guys doing? Whatever it is that you guys are doing, it's clearly not making her happy or working for her. She, you describe her as in some ways typically male because she's just not in touch with her feelings and she's not able to articulate them. But it sounds like she's being very socialized female a woman here socialized to defer to the wants and needs of the man in her life. So she is allowing things to unfold, going along to get along, make putting your needs and wants first and then feeling diminished, degraded, terrible, awful in the aftermath because they weren't things that she wanted to do or found pleasure in doing. So I would ask you, what are these things? Not how do I make sure she doesn't have a, sad in the wake of these things, but what are these things and why do these things leave her feeling unfulfilled or leave her feeling, I'm just going to have to guess at her feelings. I'm not talking to her degraded, humiliated, diminished. What are those things? You're going to have to find a way to do those things differently or you're going to have to find other things to do because the things that you're doing now that you never go into aren't working 
or her. And you are paying the price. Well, not the price. You are also paying a price in the end because of these projection transference fights that you're all having in, in the wake of because she feels she can't be mad about X because she consented to X because X was what you wanted, whatever that is. So she gets mad about something else. And then in the unpacking of that, you realize she's actually mad about X. That definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. You keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. You keep going to these places with your wife sexually. And over and over and over again, there is bad feelings, sad feelings, negative fallout, fights as a result, as a consequence. Maybe you need to not keep doing those same things and expecting a different outcome. Unless you can reverse engineer into those things conditions or additions that make your wife feel more comfortable and more a part of it and less just a submissive consenting to it half willingly or find different things to do, different adventures for you two to have together that you're both interested in that don't leave either of you feeling angry, hurt, or sad. Hey, Dan, I've I've had a long time fetish for wrestling. It's just been a huge turn on for me for the longest time. Recently, I found a guy that I can wrestle with, and he's just ridiculously hot. He wears like these tight Under Armour shorts when he wrestles, and I can see his jock strap. It's it's very sexy. There's no sexuality to it though, other than just me getting excited from it. And I feel lucky that I can do something like that that also helps with me get into shape. The problem is, is that he will say things. I think he's gay. I'm pretty sure that he's gay, but um, he'll, or at least bi, and he'll say things that are very awful about women. Or he's just got, he has this huge chip on his shoulder towards women. And recently he sent me, I was just like, what did you do last night? And he sent me videos of him fucking other women and using like, you know, really rough language. Um, That would be great if the woman involved consented to that kind of talk and was okay with it, but I'm not sure that she did. I'm not sure what my position is as his wrestling partner to express my kind of disgust with that. Or should I just cut ties completely? Oh, my God. Takes me back. The sick and transparent, angry misogyny of the tormented closet case who can't be mad at himself. So he's mad at the women that he's having sex with, kind of sort of against his will, and focuses his rage and anger on them because they're somehow responsible for his predicament because they're the ones at fault because he is obligated to fuck them to be the straight man that he feels he must be to function in the society somehow. So rather than directing his rage at society, like any healthy homo who's in the process of coming out or struggling with his desires, he focuses his rage and his anger at the objects of his enforced desire or his desire that is extracted from him under duress that he has to sleep with these women that he doesn't want to sleep with to be the man he's supposed to be. And so fuck these women. He's so mad at these women. And it comes out in this creepy mix of eroticism and rage. Why would you want to wrestle with that guy is what I'm wondering. Not so much what you need to say to him to talk him off this 
he-man girl haters misogyny closet case faggot club. But why would you want to be in a room with someone who felt that way about women? Because as I've said a billion times on this show, homophobia is misogyny's snot-nosed-shitty little brother. Which means that misogyny is homophobia's big sister. And someone who's a misogynist doesn't typically like gay people. And someone who's a homophobe doesn't typically like women much or respect women much. So ladies, don't date homophobes. And gay dudes, don't wrestle or fuck or date or kiss or hook up with shitty misogynists because they hate themselves too for being gay, which means they hate you for being gay. And being in the same room with someone who hates you and allowing them to have access to you in an intimate way. Or maybe you can get away with a hookup with that person, but any sort of ongoing connection with that person is going to do harm to you emotionally. So don't have anything to do with that person. You can on your way out, though, speak your mind to that person. I wouldn't wrestle with this guy again, but I would say to him, if I were you, dude, you have got to work on this. These videos where you are hate fucking these girls, are they into that? Do you just bust that out on them? Some women are into that kind of dirty bitch horse let talk during sex. I hope those are the women that you're having sex with when you bust that out. I hope it's mutually pleasurable and fun and consensual because if it ain't, that's some sick and twisted and shitty crap that you are doing to your sex partners. And I know you don't regard what we do together as sex, but I do. And I don't want to be one of your sex partners if that's how you treat your other sex partners. You don't have to tell him he's gay, even if you think he's gay. Could be bi. Don't misread that he gets a boner when you guys are wrestling for not interested necessarily in the women he's fucking. And he could have all those conflicts about rage and misogyny and desire and who he's supposed to be as a man and be a closeted bi guy, not necessarily a closeted gay guy. But you need to put the psycho down and back away from the psycho. You need to pull the singlet off and stride out of the wrestling ring. There are other guys who aren't so conflicted, who aren't so messy about their desires, about their sexual orientations, about their kinks. And I promise you, if he is sending you videos like this of how he treats these other people, he will get around in time to treating you just as badly, if not worse, because his relationship with you is more stigmatizing, more implicating than his relationships with them are, if indeed his conflict is around his sexual orientation. Run, run away. Go find a nice, muscly, healthy, together out gay or bi dude who shares your fetish or straight dude who shares your fetish. They're out there, healthy ones. I promise you, you don't have to keep pinning this mess to the mat. Hi, Dan. I'm a 27-year-old lesbian and I live in the UK. I've recently moved from one city to another for a job opportunity. And on my last night, my leaving party at the old city, my close friend sexually assaulted me. I trusted him to get me home after the party because I was quite drunk. Then I woke up in the night and realised he'd taken some of my clothes off and was trying to have sex with me. When I managed to get the words out to tell him no, he did stop. But the whole experience has left me shaken. My trust is completely violated. And this is a really close friend. And I'm completely disappointed in how he has behaved. I'm really struggling to settle 
in this new town. I've made the right decision to move and I'm completely happy with that. But making friends and meeting people has been particularly difficult. I'm struggling to concentrate at work. I'm struggling to sleep. And I'm so angry that this has happened and that I feel so vulnerable in a place where I should be focusing on my future and be excited about being here. I was wondering if you had any advice. I know this isn't an easily solved problem, but I just wanted to talk to someone and maybe open it out to you and your listeners to see if they had any words of wisdom. I have thought about writing him a letter. I don't want to report it to the police as I don't want to invite the stress and I'm on the waiting list for counselling, but my situation feels pretty desperate and I really want to move past this feeling you say you don't want to go to the police because you don't want that added stress. And yet, listening to your call, and my heart goes out to you, listening to your call, it seems you're nothing but stress right now. Stress is all you've got. And maybe going to the police would be additional stress, but maybe going to the police and filing a police report, even knowing that the likelihood of a successful prosecution in a case like this is low, that that would be something that you could do. That would be an action that you could take. In addition to writing him a letter, which I actually think you should do, in addition to writing that letter and sending that letter to him, confronting him about what he did and how violated you feel and rubbing his nose and hopefully his conscience, if he possesses one, in the ramifications of what he did and the the effect it's had on you, he also shortly after reading your letter, got a call from a cop investigating your complaint. Probably not a successful prosecution is going to come out of this, of you filing a police report. But maybe the combo, the one-two punch of that letter from you confronting him and that call from the cop, hopefully the call he gets from the police, in, about the investigation that they launched into his behavior that night, will result in him getting on the waiting list for counseling, will result in him realizing that it wasn't just your mental health and your physical autonomy that he messed with that night, but potentially could have derailed his life, his future that night as well because of the actions that he took. And maybe that would persuade him to never do this ever again to anyone else ever again. And some good would come of what was for you a tremendously traumatic experience. And the good wouldn't necessarily accrue to you personally. The good would come in the women down the road who would be spared. The women down the road that he might interact with or become the friends of who he might not pull something similar with because of that one-two punch, because of the confrontation, because of the letter, because of the call from the police. And maybe that would be some comfort to you. Maybe that would be one way to alleviate your stress, not creating an obligation for you. You have to do what's right for you. You have to take care of yourself. You have to make your own choices. But maybe that thought would help bring your stress level down, would help you find a place to place this, a place to put this where some good may have come of it because of your actions in the aftermath. If indeed you can take these actions. Otherwise, how to cope? Go hang out with people who are your real friends. 
You live in London now? What a wonderful city. Go see some plays. Get out of the house. Find, if you can't get to a counselor because you're on a waiting list, find a support group in London, in the UK, for survivors of sexual assault, which is what you are. They typically don't have waiting lists. Many of them are open to all. Go. Go and sit in a room with other people who have walked the stony path that you are walking right now and come through it on the other side, as well as seeing plays, as well as getting out of the house, as well as reading, as well as looking outward, not for distractions, but for more, for more stories, for more input, for more experiences. You had this tremendously traumatic experience and you're sitting with it. Lay some new experiences down on top of it. Dilute that experience by continuing to have other experiences. I'm not talking about sexual experiences. I'm not talking about romantic experiences. I'm talking about experiencing things. I'm talking about being out in the world. I'm talking about not allowing yourself to shut down or not being shut down by this. But you asked for my advice, and I hate to be prescriptive, and I know you said you didn't want to go to the police, but my advice would be to write that letter, to go to the police, to get out there in the world. You say you're in a new place and you don't have many friends. Get out there in the world. Put yourself out there. You will meet people. That is how you make friends. And get out there and experience. Experience other things. Dilute this experience. Write that letter. I'm so, so sorry for the pain you're in right now. So sorry. Uh, Hey, Dan. 36, white male, living in Texas. And I just want to ask you, what do I do when my girlfriend wants to vote for Trump? And I think it's bullshit. She's all pissed off about Clinton being in Benghazi. So how do we convince people that Clinton is less evil than Trump? Joining me by phone to help field this question, Rebecca Shunkop, editrix and publisher of Wonquette.com, which Josh Marshall at Talking Points Memo describes as a sex site that talks about politics sometimes. Hey, Rebecca, how are you doing? Good morning. I'm fabulous. And you? I'm great. It's so great to have you on. I am such a huge fan of Wonquette and have been for years. And under your leadership, it's just gotten better and better. And I love Evan Hurst and I love you and everybody there is just so fucking smart and fucking funny. And anybody who can hear the sound of my voice who isn't going to wonkette.com every day is missing out. And so it's a thrill to have you. But before we get to this question, Josh Marshall says you're a sex site that talks about politics sometimes. How would you describe Talking Points Memo? Uh, (laughs) I would just actually, I used to use Talking Points Memo as a class text when I taught poli-sci. My students had to read it every day. They were doing such amazing investigative work. And now, you know, they're just another also-ran, big, bloated political site, not like Wonkette.com, which is lean and spare and with it. And funny and dirty. I'm a big fan of Talking Points Memo. I, I consider them a politics site I am that sometimes talks about sex. No, I was just kidding about Talking Points Memo. <laughs> they're great, but Wonkette is better. Wonkette Let's is, spell it for people. Wonkette is better it's than everybody. W-O-N-K-E-T-T-E dot com. So people can find it. Okay, so you write a lot about the presidential race yourself, and so does Dr. Doom mm-hmm. and everybody else at Wonkette. So let's let's tackle this guy's question. 36-year-old man in Texas, what does he do about his girlfriend who's planning to vote for Trump because Clinton killed all those people in Benghazi? 
Well, I am sad for his girlfriend that she is a stupid woman. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I mean, you're more the interpersonal interaction guy. But all we can do is ask him to have her Google list of diplomatic embassies that have been attacked over the years. I mean, this has been going on since 1928. Every administration has had uh, diplomatic personnel murdered overseas, and it's horrible. But, you know, 213 Marines were killed in Beirut under Reagan, and nobody is saying Reagan murdered them himself. You know, and they had warning about that as well. You know, so, so I mean, this whole conceit that Hillary Clinton is waiting around for there to be an attack so she can tell people not to rescue those who are in danger is so unbelievably insane, but it's really par for the course of, of everything people have been saying about Hillary Clinton for the last 25 years. This woman cannot catch a break. So I don't know if, if our friend in Texas's girlfriend is persuadable with alternate information or not. Sometimes people are not, but he could at least feel better if he just hits the Google. This is not a rare occasion, sadly. Or dumps the crazy woman. BTMFA? <laughs> yeah, maybe dump the crazy person is also an option. Uh, what's, he uses a phrase that I've used in some of my conversations with uh, Sanders supporters uh, who were thinking about not voting for Clinton uh, if she got the nomination, which is the lesser of two evils is less fucking evil. And that's what a lot of elections come down to. Pick the least worst person in this race. Not You get to pick the solid gold dipped in moonlight rolled in stardust choice you would have preferred. And yet, listening to him talk now, about his girlfriend and how do I convince her that Clinton is less evil when she's planning to vote for Trump, maybe some people can't be convinced because some people are for evil. Some people are voting for Trump mm. because they want more evil, not less evil. And maybe if you're with somebody who wants more evil, you should not be with that person. Well, I, I perhaps his girlfriend thinks she is making a principled stand. At Wongcat, we're really lucky because our readers are all liberal, all most all Democrats, but our readers are particularly sane. While half were for Bernie and half were for Hillary, almost totally divided in half, our Bernie people didn't go nuts when he didn't win. They thought, well, that is a shame and a pity and I am sad, but I'm not an idiot or a stupid person. I hang around with smart people, and so I too will be voting for Hillary Clinton in the general. And None of them are pulling out the Stein thing mm-hmm. or, God forbid, the Trump thing, because that would be insane. And to the de- in defense of the Bernie people out there, at this stage, there are more people who supported Bernie in the primary saying they will now vote for Clinton than there were people who voted for Clinton in 2008 at this stage who said they would vote for Obama. That more Bernie supporters support Clinton now than Clinton supporters supported Obama then. So Obama supporters, right, pardon me, so Bernie supporters are saner than Clinton supporters of eight years ago. And remember, that was an ugly primary. A lot of it due to the Clinton campaign doing real racist dog whistle stuff that was ugly and that I didn't forgive her for for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't have Twitter and people weren't really getting all up on their Facebook soapboxes so much. And so you had the Pumas, party, party unity, my ass, old white women who are very mad and were never going to go vote for uh, Obama, the interloper, the Kenyan. Um, but you didn't have these people on Twitter just going batshit at you and being super abusive and calling you a whore and just being generally unpleasant. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the dead enders this time are more numerous than they are. 
And we have to remind ourselves that the people on Twitter are not really representative as a whole. And we need to remind ourselves that there is a block button on Twitter and you should use it liberally. (laughs) So what's our advice for this guy? Let's sum it up. Dump her or try to reason with her, get the Google open in front of her. I mean, I say, I say get the Google. I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of the preemptive breakup with a crazy person. I actually was engaged to be married to the political director of the California Republican Party at one point. So I'm all for we can all kumbaya and have our different political beliefs. Also, if she's that great in bed, he's not going to let go of her just because <laughs> she's, I'm assuming she's great in bed or he wouldn't be having this issue. He would just have dumped the motherfucker already. I'm really confused as to how you have such a negative standpoint on Bernie Sanders within the presidential campaign period. It just doesn't make sense. He is doing good. He actually won California by 51.1 to 48.9, and yet nobody's reporting on it. We've got Obama signing the Protect Monsanto Act and Hillary Clinton's DNC voting against carbon taxes and you know, voting for fracking in the TPP and the, the, the occupation of Israel. What kind of person doesn't actually like at least what Bernie stands for fundamentally if they don't believe that it's applicable to reality, which, by the way, it fucking is. Okay, Rebecca, if Bernie Sanders had won the nomination, if he were the nominee, would you be supporting him? my God, I love Bernie Sanders. I especially love him more today after he has just endorsed Hillary Clinton with a really nice, genuine endorsement. I was a little butthurt during the ugly campaign, but no, of course, I was torn between the two of them all along. They're both great. Of course, we would be backing Bernie Sanders. As would I. I think, and I want to just reach out and scream at this caller, that People are now backdating the annoyance expressed by folks like me at Bernie Sanders, not for having gotten in the race, but for having delayed his endorsement of Clinton to such an extent that it was becoming a problem. That's when I began to express annoyance with Bernie Sanders. I was for Sanders getting in the race. I am for free college. I am for a single-payer healthcare system. I am for breaking up the banks. And you can go back on my blog, Angry Bernie Supporters, and you can find – Posts where I just posted speeches that Bernie Sanders gave in Congress, and I said, run, Bernie, run. Get in the race. If he gets the nomination, great. If he doesn't get the nomination, he's going to pull Clinton to the left, which is what he did. I am glad he got in the race. But I was annoyed that when Clinton clinched the nomination, that he would not endorse her or even acknowledge that that had happened. And there was this game playing around the nominee isn't really picked until the convention, which is not a standard applied to anyone else ever before. But suddenly it's a standard applied to Clinton in this race by Sanders supporters. And that's when I got upset. But I am on his side. And, you know, the caller says, what kind of a person doesn't like what Bernie Sanders did? I like what Bernie Sanders stands for. And I'm glad that some of what Bernie Sanders stands for has made it into the damn platform. Not that that really matters. Not that the platform is marching orders for elected officials in any way. I am glad of it. And I am grateful that he ran and I was for him. So this bullshit that some butt sore Bernie Sanders supporters are pulling, that those of us who were for Hillary or Bernie or both hated Bernie all along because we were annoyed by the post-Clinton clinching the nomination antics of the Sanders campaign, that is fucking bullshit. I agree. 
Uh, at Wonket, we were completely neutral in the primary. About half of us on staff were Bernie and half were Hillary. And it wasn't until the fucking clusterfuck in Nevada that I got pissed. And I was like, no, you know what? Endorsement time. Fuck you, Bernie Sanders. I'm mad at you now. This is ridiculous. You're feeding into this huge meme that, that this whole thing is rigged and broken. And I watched it. And it was, it was like spoiled fucking children. And I was so mad. So I was mad at him from then on. However, uh, once we saw Hillary really did list the, the fact that he didn't jump in and endorse her full throatedly earlier was annoying me. And then this week we got some really good stories about she'd made her college plan a little bit more like hers. Now it's free college for most. Mm-hmm. That's good. So maybe him withholding the endorsement just that long enough made her do a couple little extra steps towards progressivism. Okay, so now I'm thinking maybe he endorsed it just the right time, and we're all kumbaya now, and the dead enders <laughs> can suck my ass. And by the way, lady, Bernie Sanders did not win California, and if you think he did, you're a lunatic, and now I don't have to listen to you anymore. <laughs> but the thing that was never discussed in the whole free college debate, the thing that never was brought up, you know, Bernie, you know, would point out, and rightly so, college is free in Europe, in these, in our, uh, the, the the countries of our allies, these social democracies, college is free. And what was never acknowledged or discussed was college is a lot harder for immigrants too. For immigrants too, but college is a lot harder to get into. That is a lot more exclusive, mm. and so you know the bar may be lowered around expense when it comes to access, mm-hmm. but the bar is raised on entrance into college. And there are two ways that people are sort of channeled in Europe and it's to higher education or to the trades or to some sort of apprenticeship training program. And, you know, those people Mm -hmm. in the trades, those people in different sorts of uh, higher education required career choices, they have healthcare, they have guaranteed vacation time, that schools are free for their children. It's not to be cast out of society or relegated to poverty as it is seemingly in this country. But in this discussion of free college, this never came up. The college yeah. is where it is free. One of the ways they're able to make it free is it's a lot harder to get into and a lot fewer people actually go. We make short shrift here of trade and vocational schools. I think specifically because in the past, black kids who were definitely college material were always shunted into the vocational schools mm-hmm. regardless. Um, but I do believe Hillary's plan has money and has a strengthening of vocational schools, which I think is really important because not everybody is college material. Um, but that goes into also a living wage. At this point, if you're not a college graduate, you cannot survive monetarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kids who aren't necessarily college material, if they can get a job that's not a college course job and still raise a family and still have a good life, I think that's enough. So we'll see. We'll see. Rebecca Schoenkopf, editrix and publisher of the terrific sex and politics blog, Wonkette.com, W-O-N-K-E-T-T-E. You should be reading it. It is amazing and hilarious and funny. And you guys have a house style there that I wish I could I wish I could replicate in my own writing. I'm always entertained when I go to Wonkette. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone. Bye, Dan. Hey, Dan. I am a cisgendered bi woman in my early 40s. I am in a fantastic primary relationship with a hetero man, and we are open or monogamous, whatever you want to call it. And he was in a long monogamous marriage uh, that was largely sexless 
for, um, I don't know, 15 years or so. And that ended a while back. And now that he and I are together, we are able to explore his kinks and my kinks and what feels like a really healthy and fun way. And the sex and the relationship is just great. We've talked a lot about how we want our relationship to go, and we're both totally fine with having an open relationship. Um, I don't currently feel like dating anybody else, but I know that I have the ability to do so if I want to. Um, But I have encouraged him to flirt with and date other people, and, and he has to some extent. And our agreement is that we have two requests or rules, if you want to call it, that uh, one of them is that we use protection and two, that we talk about it. And originally it was just that I didn't want us to feel like we were keeping any secrets together or secrets from each other. But now I feel like it's kind of something more than that for me. Apparently I get really turned on when he talks about flirting with or hooking up with other women. And it's almost like I'm getting off on compersion. And I don't I don't quite know what to do with that. I've looked online and I see some stuff about cuckold fetish and, and cuck queening and, and everything I've seen there is has a lot to do with humiliation and shame and people getting off on that portion of it. And that's really not what I'm experiencing. I'm super excited for him. And I don't know, just the whole idea of him being with somebody else really gets me going. And so what what I'm calling about is, is there a name for this? I'd really like to see some porn or watch some erotic or read some erotica or something around that. Um, And my other question is, how much does he need to tell the other woman that he's with? Is it okay that he or should he be telling them that he's telling me about it? Or is this just a secret perving kind of thing? What are your thoughts? There is a term for this, but it's going to feel like an awkward fit. Cuckolding minus the degradation, minus the humiliation, minus the eroticized jealousy is called hot wifing. And that's just where a guy is turned on by other men finding his wife attractive and sleeping with his wife. And sort of the affirmation of my wife's really hot. Lots of guys want to sleep with her and she sleeps with lots of guys and that's really sexy. And it's not about him being displaced or his place being taken. He's just sharing his hot wife with other guys. And what you're doing here is kind of hot wifing, but it's your husband. So you're hot husbanding, which doesn't roll off the tongue quite as easily as hot wifing. But you could call it hot hubby. I'm hot hubby ying. That also doesn't roll off the tongue quite as easily. Hot spousing. Maybe we come up with the gender neutral version. Hot spousing. There you go. You are a hot spouser. And you enjoy hot spousing with your hot spouse husband. As for what he needs to tell other women, so long as he isn't misrepresenting himself to these other women as available for a long-termish relationship or available for dating, so long as they understand that he's not looking for a girlfriend or a wife, unless you guys are poly and then maybe you are looking for a girlfriend potentially for him and he then needs to disclose the fact that he has a primary partner, his wife, you, he doesn't have to tell them that there's this added super secret jazzy benefit for his wife in these encounters that he's having with other women. He doesn't necessarily have to say, my wife pervs out on this. It turns my wife on when I tell her What happened when I share these stories? He doesn't have to. I don't see the harm in him actually telling them. Now, maybe that added layer of kink would send some kink phobes running in the opposite direction. It would cost him some pussy he could have gotten. 
but I doubt it. I imagine that if he's disclosing, as he should, that he has a, a primary partner and is in an open relationship and this is okay with her, maybe one of these girls, maybe these women he's sleeping with will say, is your wife okay with this? And he can say she's more than okay with it. It actually turns her on when I mess around. Turns her on. Doesn't have to tell her the rest. Doesn't have to tell her how much it turns you on unless her interest is piqued. And then how much more exciting for you would that be? If he wasn't just sleeping with some other woman, but sleeping with a woman who got off on the fact that you got off on the fact that he was sleeping with her. And that would bring the circle all the way around. Uh, hi, Dan. I, I have kind of a question. I have um, it's not a medical question. Next to my vagina area, I have a really gross mole. And I've always had it. It's not cancerous. It's not, you know, contagious. It's kind of like something you'd find on a witch's nose. And I was just wondering when I should sort of kind of warn guys about this, that there's a, a way I can be like, hey, there's a mold on there. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's not, you know, it's not disease. It just looks bad. Because I think that one, it's unexpectedly ugly, you know, and I don't want a guy to be like kind of taken back by that. And two, he could potentially think I have, you know, an STD or something wrong. So I feel like these are reasons I should bring it up with him. But, like, I don't know how to do that without instantly killing the mood. I don't know how to be like, hi, before we get to sexy times, just know there's something ugly there. I don't know, like, if maybe it's something that should be, like, brought up earlier, you know? Like, I just don't know. And also, the thing that I want to ask about is this. Like, I know people get moles removed all the time, but I don't necessarily want to get this one removed, even though I think it's ugly. Partly I can't afford it. Partly I just feel like it's part of myself and I should accept it. Uh, So I just wanted to know your thoughts about that sort of thing. Like, if there's something ugly about you that's easy to change, should you just go ahead and change it? Or should you try to accept it? Or like, like, am I being stupid for having a vagina that has part of it that's really ugly and not going out of my way to um, make it not ugly. Here's a funny story from my past. Years ago, years and years ago, I dated this really hot farm boy and was totally into him and we had a lot of sex and it was really awesome. And then one day he had kind of this meltdown and and meltdown might be the wrong choice of words here, but he had this meltdown and apologized to me and thanked me really for not making an issue about the condition of his dick. And I told him that I thought his dick was awesome and I hadn't noticed anything wrong with his dick. And what had happened was when he was a kid on the farm, like 11 or 12 years old, he fell on a scalding hot pipe on a tractor And it burnt through the crotch of his jeans. He straddled it, fell on it, and it burnt his taint. And he had this kind of scar tissue taint and some scar tissue on his nutsack. And I had been down there and I hadn't fucking noticed because it wasn't what I was really focused on. I wasn't inspecting his genitalia for malformation or discoloration or non-normative appearance. I was just enjoying him and enjoying his junk as an extension of him. And this thing that he thought could was the only thing anybody ever saw when they went down there was something I hadn't even noticed 
when I went down there until he pointed it out. And then I was like, oh, yeah, huh, crazy. Can we get back to fucking now? And I wonder if this might not be a similar circumstance. You describe this as something you might find on a witch's nose. Not a witch's nose itself. It's not like some giant molish dangling appendage. It's just a mole that could be on your arm or the nape of your neck or your back or uh, your leg. But it happens to, through the genetic lottery, have landed close enough to your twat that maybe it's something that they've seen or will notice. And so – or maybe – like me and my ex long ago hot farm boy boyfriend, maybe it's something that they didn't even spot. Maybe it's something that you're focused on that you're painfully conscious of, but they don't even in the grand scheme of thing, like here's your twat. They're not even noticing any sort of molish abnormality or maybe they are. Seems to me that if you truly accept this and you love your body in all of its manifest glory and you love it as is and the way it came and the box it came in and the box you got with the mole, you should just be blasé and upfront about it if you truly accept it. Like, oh, hey, I have a mole down there. Just so you know, before you pull my panties off and start to eat my pussy, it's just a mole. Could be on my shoulder, could be on my back, but it's on my labia. Enjoy. If you really don't accept yourself or you worry about how they're going to react and it squicks you out to the point that accepting it is a strain, you can fucking have it taken off. That's okay. You won't be betraying your women's studies TA in first year at Vassar or wherever the fuck you went, having a mole removed. Lots of people have moles removed. It's not the same thing as, say, getting breast implants that cost you sensation in your nipples because you want to have boobs that match the beauty ideal of the moment and you would be, as a woman, perhaps coerced into making that sacrifice in order to have ideal breaths. Not talking about that kind of modification to your body to meet some arbitrary beauty standard. Just having a mole removed that is in an awkward place and that makes you feel a little bit self-conscious and can be gone. I had a mole taken off my leg years ago because it was not near my dick or anything, but just because it was fugly. I didn't like how it looked and it's gone. You can do the same. And being empowered to love and accept your body can also mean being empowered to make little tweaks to your body. Your body is yours. And you know, if you are a woman out there who had breast implants for that reason, because you wanted breasts that matched the beauty ideal and that was an empowered choice you made, you go, girl. I'm on your side too. But you can be empowered to do a sit-up. You can be empowered to have a mole removed. You can be empowered to dye your hair every once in a while if you want. You can be empowered to pluck your fucking eyebrows. There's lots of ways we tweak our appearance subtly. That isn't about succumbing to standard beauty norms and it isn't about betrayal. It's just about presentation. So love the mole, chat about the mole, get the mole removed, all the same, in my opinion. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-year-old straight female and I have a question about what to do about a breakup that just won't end. So I met a guy on a a trip and we started dating and even though we lived about five hours away, we kept it going long distance after we got home. Um, Saw each other about one or two times a month and mostly him coming to me because he had a more flexible schedule. Um, But after a few months, I started seeing things that were deal breakers for me. He would exaggerate the truth a bit and 
get a bit whiny. And on the outside, he was super sweet, but it just didn't feel like he was doing it for me, more so doing it for attention. Um, he started getting over-involved, talking about marriage and stuff, stuff that was too much for only seeing each other for a couple months long distance. So I ended up breaking up with him, and I did it in per- person. I did it quite respectfully, I think, and uh, made it pretty clear that we were not together and that it wasn't going to be something in the future that I would be interested in either. Um, he seemed to take it okay, and but quickly afterwards, it seemed to turn into constant communication, uh, more so even than when we were together. Um, he was sending me messages and emails and trying to call me, and I tried to ignore it and just respond to a suitable amount, but it ended up getting worse and sending some emails with some pretty manipulative messages and sending saying that he didn't mean to send them at all. But the last straw, his his ex finally called me because she was worried that I was I was giving in to him and she clarified some pretty large lies that he had told me and said that he could be very manip- manipulative and that I should cut him off completely just to make it clear that we were broken up in his mind. So that's what I did. I blocked him on everything I could, social media, I uh, blocked my phone number or his phone number. And um, I wrote him an email just explaining that I needed to make a clean break. And if we were going to communicate, I needed that space to to start the communication with him because if he was messaging me every hour of the day, I could never control what was going on between us. So I blocked everything except for email because I figured he couldn't see that I was receiving them and it would it would let me know when he had stopped trying. So that was about five months ago and I'm still getting on average an email every three days from him. Um, varying attempts of being really nice or getting really angry and telling me that he wasted his time and money with me and to the point where he's just asking weird logistical questions and advice. And I haven't responded to anything in five months. But my question is, where do I go from here? He's a really nice guy. And it's not that I don't want to speak to him. It's just that was kind of the terms I set out. And I feel like responding to him would be like going back on those terms that I set out. But at that point, I I really didn't expect it to be five months of him still trying to contact me, even though I told him not to. Where I thought I kind of had control of the situation up to this point, now I'm at a bit of a loss and would really like to hear your advice. He's not a really nice guy. He's a dirtbag who is stalking you digitally stalking you and harassing you despite your request for him to not have any more contact with you. And my advice would be to go ahead and block him on email as well. One of the reasons he's so present in your mind is because you created this control that would allow you to know when he had finally burnt out and stopped attempting to contact you, which is keeping him in your head because you're seeing these emails come in every few days. Don't see these emails Block him on email. Forget about him. Stop letting him do what he wants to do. Stop letting him manipulate you in the way that he can now, which is to crawl inside your brain and make you feel insecure and make you feel empathy because he's such a nice guy and he's in pain and half the time he's badgering you in these emails and the times he's pleading with you or asking you for your help logistically with whatever the fuck. 
end it. It's over. He's out, done, cut off. Doesn't matter if there's some aspect of his character that he can play off in public or in a relationship that makes him seem like a nice guy because he is not a nice guy. This is not how nice or decent guys take or accept rejection. He's rejecting your rejection. That's the definition of an asshole. Cut him off, cut him out, forget about him, block him on email and everything else. And don't sit there feeling bad for him because what he's doing to you is shitty and sadistic and cruel and uncalled for and inconsiderate and obnoxious. It doesn't matter how much vulnerability he can appear to wrap these shit balls up in before he hurls them at you. He's still hurling shit at you, hurling feces at you. Run, block, block, run. Every week at the end of the show, we play some comments from listeners who didn't have a question but had thoughts on the stuff we'd covered on a recent program. This week, we have calls from African-American listeners sharing their thoughts and their feelings about living in this country at this time as African-Americans. Before we get to those calls, and it's extended comments section, but it's really fascinating, really good. We appreciate everyone who called in and shared their thoughts, and we're really honored to have them on the program. Before we get to them, quick correction. A couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Philando Castile, I got his girlfriend's last name wrong. I called her Diamond Phillips when actually she is Diamond Reynolds. My apology for that brain fart. And now some calls that everyone should listen to. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm calling from Tokyo. I'm a black listener. I've been reading and listening to you for over 15 years now. I wanted to just say that watching what's happening in my home from Japan, um, I can't describe it. It makes me think, though, as a child watching uh, the Nazis, um, news of them, and I would ask myself, how could good people let this happen to all these people? But I'm watching it happen to people I love and care for, and it's... I can't describe to you the rage and the sadness and the depression that it causes me and many people here. And all I ask is that uh, people do something, um, whether it's looking at the companies you work for and demanding they do something or boycotting them and not buying their products or just letting people know you care. Uh, You know, history will look at us, look at everyone and say, what did you do? And I just ask the listeners who have given me lots of support and yourself have given me lots of emotional support over the last 15 plus years to just do something that matters and try to heal those who are right now angered and enraged and maybe enraged at you. But just be kind and care and protect them. Please protect them. The thing is, every time I see a guy killed with black, on TV, in the news, it always reminds me of my personal life. My, I lost my brother to a cop shooting at his job. The cop was drunk, and my brother had gotten into an altercation with his manager, and they, they didn't have a weapon or anything, yet the guy shot him when my mom was outside waiting for him. And this happened 10 years ago, and... It's just been hell in my family since then. When I see these things in the news, I just know that it's because they are judging us before they even get to know us. One of the bigger things is understanding that Black people are not treated as human beings in this country, and we never have been. 
We were sold as livestock. And then if you look at the Dred Scott decision, we have been told since day one that the promises made by this country didn't apply to us. What is more damning about America is the silence of my white liberal friends, the one who want, who want to call me and tell me how much they're sorry about what happened. But I don't see them even standing up to their racist uncle at Thanksgiving. You know, the ones who who share my posts on Facebook and then when something completely racist is commented against uh, on it, they want to say, well, I'm not here to argue. Well, guess what? Black people can't fix racism. White people have to do it. I'm gay and gay people wanted me to stand up for Orlando, but where are those same gay men now? They're silent. Being black in America is characterized by pain and by fear and by rejection. Being a black queer is characterized by all of that, but also alienation because we don't even fit in our own community. So if you want to do something, challenge your own racism, challenge racism of, of people who are close to you, and make sure there are social consequences for people who treat us like we're not human. I don't want to hear another apology and I don't want to hear any more white tears. I want to see some white action. It's a really hard time for those of us with a lot of white friends. Uh, their outrage is new because now there's video cameras and the white privilege of their outrage is frustrating. So they should tread lightly right now. Thanks. With regards to what white people can do in a society that often brutalizes black people, you can live your privilege. White people have privilege and they have access to benefits like jobs and education and wealth and you can lend that by for example if you are someone who routinely writes recommendations for kids to go off to college well find a black kid who is a great student and write a recommendation for him or her if you're someone who people come to to get a summer job or maybe even a full-time job for their white kids find a black kid who is hardworking, who is in your network and offer him or her a job. By lending your privilege, you can help spread the access that whiteness brings to black people who are often blocked out of that access because police brutalize black people, politicians brutalize black people because we lack economic privilege. And one of the ways to overcome that is to empower economically people of color and white people, you can do that by lending your privilege. I feel like a lot of people are threatened by the Black Lives Matter movement. And the only thing that we're actually trying to convey is that we matter too. You know, like imagine a child saying to their parent, you know, I matter too. I deserve the same rights as you, the same human rights. There's really no reason to be threatened by that movement. And it's really something that everyone who has an interest in equal rights for all human beings should be able to get up, get behind um, and not, you know, really feel radical for taking that position. Black Lives Matter has been made to seem like this really radical anti-law enforcement type of organization or movement, and that's just not true. I really hope that everyone will wake up and see that this is a human rights issue, plain and simple. And and I really just hope things uh, get better from here. Long, long, long time listener. Thank you for understanding that that um, that white people need a space to be able to, to, to speak out about things that are going on right now because I'm connected to a lot of people through Facebook and we're not being heard by a lot of our friends. And I can tell you quite honestly, as horrible as it is, as horrible as it is to have to d endure the situations of 
all these uh, of all these shootings and killings of of black men uh, who are innocent and 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 not even being able to survive their arrests as horrible as that is to have to endure the racism in this country. It's almost worse having to be friends with white liberals right now who don't shut the fuck up and give us space to be able to be angry about this. I got into a fight with uh, somebody online because they were so all lives matter because for some reason or another, Black Lives Matter isn't protesting peacefully enough for them. And it's like, fuck you. <laughs> like, we're upset. We're angry. And, I'm, and this is nervous laughter because um, I don't think any of this stuff is funny. But it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. So, like, the thing I would like to have out there to know uh, for those who are not minorities, those who have not been through these situations, is to shut the fuck up and listen. Listen, stand next to us, hold our hands, hold our backs, get, get behind us, and be with us, absolutely. But I don't care if you're married to a black person. I don't care if, you're, I don't care if you're, you're, you've had a child with a black person. I don't care if you stand next to a black person. I don't care if you spent the last two summers and three years in Africa. If you are not a black person, shut up and listen to us for a minute. Now, as a black man, I'm afraid of the police. Let that sink in. When I see a cop, I don't feel comfortable which is a shame because as a law-abiding citizen of this country who doesn't have a record, I should feel comfortable. But given the police's history with unarmed black men, I just don't trust them. However, it's not only black men that, who have suffered at the hands of the police. Let's not forget about women like Sandra Bland and Yvette Smith and also members of the LGBTQ community whose suffering goes largely unreported. Also, I have to dis- disagree with your statement that people should be forced to watch these videos. Personally, I can't watch any more of these videos because it's traumatizing to see people with my skin color get killed for no reason. Kendall Castile was murdered 24 hours after Alton Sterling, and that day I was sitting at my desk at work fighting back tears because through these acts of violence, we're constantly being told that we don't matter, and that couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth. Black lives matter. And by the way, to anyone who tries to silence us by saying all lives matter, that saying black lives matter, it doesn't mean that our lives are more important than yours or any other race. Black lives matter is a reminder that despite everything we've gone through in this country, everything that black people have gone through, we're human as well. Our lives matter as well. Treat us like it does. Thank you again to everyone who called in to share your thoughts. We appreciate it so very much. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, please give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Go to humpfilmfest.com for information on entering Hump, my amateur porn film festival, Hump Film Fest. Com. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Rebecca Shonkov, editrix of Wonkette, at Girl 11 Speaking of Twitter, Yaz Warrior tweets, Dan Savage is the devil's very own son. What a bunch of filth this man spews. But Tamara tweets, renewed my Savage Lovecast subscription, 35 bucks for a year for some of the best content on the internet. Cheers to Fake Dan Savage. And cheers to you, Tamara, and thank you for that upbeat tweet. I really need in the wake of being called Devil's Own Son. The Savage Lovecast is produced by the Devil's Own Daughter, Nancy Hartunian, and me, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. 
the Devil Squad. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. Bye.